0: Today we continue in our series called Saving Encounters. This week we look at the man born blind, the gospel reading that Cindy just read. And last week, if you were here, we had a saving encounter with the woman at the well that Nick spoke to us about. And before that, it was Nicodemus. In this season, the lectionary has us in the Gospel of John. And each of these episodes of Saving Encounters instructs us more about who Christ is, more about why he came for our salvation, and actually what that means. What is a saving encounter? And you can already hear from the different names that I just mentioned that they look different depending on the person. And Jesus always starts with where the person is. It was true in our life. He started where we were, whatever situation we were in, whatever geography we found ourselves, whatever friendship, whatever connection that ultimately brought us to him. (laughs) And so we're looking at the man born blind, says our text. Now, I haven't been, suffered any blindness to this point in my life, and I doubt many people here have had to deal with that, but that doesn't mean we don't know a little bit about what it means to be blind. Perhaps when you were a child, a sibling or a friend said, hey, let's play a game. And you say, what game? And it's like, well, you pretend to be blind, and I'll lead you around And so they have you close your eyes and suddenly everything that was familiar goes instantly dark. The things that you thought were nearby and you could easily navigate are suddenly your depth perception is off, your friend or your sibling is sort of laughing, you can hear that because you're not sure what's going on and whether they're going to safely lead you around the room. And however long you can stand it and whatever anxiety is increasing and your trust issues, which are surfacing with your friend, you're wondering, how long do I have to be without sight? How long can this go on? And uh, sometimes they make you run into a wall and sometimes they put something in front of you and you can't wait for your turn. (laughs) But nobody wants to be blind. But this man in our text has been blind since birth. He was born blind. He was without any real prospects for much of a life. It says that he was begging. He's in the temple courts. Jesus is in Jerusalem at this point. And and what's interesting about this text is that of all the healing miracles that, that are recorded in the Gospels, usually they start with somebody reaching out to Jesus and say, Lord, heal me. A group of lepers are standing on the side of the road and when they hear him going past, they say, heal us, Jesus. Or other blind men are on the side of the road and they're yelling, Lord, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus is on his way somewhere, and then the Jairus, the temple ruler, comes, and he says, come heal my daughter. And with that, a woman at the, it simultaneously comes and touches his cloak because she thinks if I just touch him, I will be healed. And Jesus said, power went out for me. The Roman centurion goes to Jesus. The pattern is this, that people are coming to Jesus and asking for healing. Mark Chapter 1, Jesus uh, Peter's house is full of people standing outside trying to get healed. But what makes this gospel text different is that Jesus is the one that initiates the healing. If you just recall what Cindy read, there's there's no request from the blind man. In fact, the only dialogue on the front end is between the disciples, and they're trying to understand, okay, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind, sort of a fatalistic, Understanding of how bad things happen to people in that day. And Jesus says neither his parents nor, uh, nor he were the problem. But this happened so that the Lord's power would be manifest. And so, what we hear of this miracle first is that Jesus starts to, he spits on the ground, makes mud with that and starts to put it on the man's eyes. The first step of the man's healing. And then the, the first part of the dialogue is Jesus saying to the man, go. The first thing the man knows, the first thing that he hears is go. Go wash yourself in the pool of Siloam, which means sent." And the man, what? He does that. He goes and he washes. And suddenly he can see. And it's like, we, we don't, John's a little light on emotional detail here, so we don't know, but we can imagine that he's pretty much rejoicing at this. He can see, uh, but that's not where the action is. We'll get to that in a moment. But for our, the first part of what drew me to this text is the fact that Jesus says to the man, go. And the man obeys and he can see. I, I think... In this time of Lent and this idea of of being blind and allowing the Lord to open our eyes to who He is. Open our eyes to the healing that we need. Open our eyes to some manifestation of the salvation that He brings. Salvation is is not entirely a future event. But salvation is a sense of being saved, of being made whole, of being made as God originally intended. And He does that even in this lifetime, bit by bit. That's actually pretty exciting. But we have a hard time experiencing that if we're not willing to hear the Lord say, go. I am putting healing in your life in some way, shape, or form. I'm blessing you in a particular way that you've been praying about. But you need to go and take some action. I don't know what that is because when we talk about healing, we're talking about not only physical healing here, the healing of the body, but healing of the heart, the soul, the mind, all aspects of who we are made in God. So let's not wait if you hear God saying to you go and take some steps towards healing. It can be practical steps. I need to call somebody. Actually have overdue physical exam tomorrow. So it's like so my prayers, hope they don't find anything. But yeah, so I want good health, and it's good to do practical things like that. I want good spiritual health. So what are the things that are getting in the way of that? What are the attachments or the affections or things that I know are creating some tension between me and the Lord? And I like to kid myself that there's some sort of indulgence, you know, kind of asking Jesus to be in grandpa mode for a while. That's okay. You just do your thing. But Jesus wants us healed of these attachments. And so he says, go. And he doesn't give this man any detail. Just says, go. Go to the pool and wash yourself. That's as much instruction as he gets. And sometimes the healing that God has for our lives, the course that he he has for us, only begins with a single command. And it's up to us to go follow and hear him. I know this firsthand some years ago. In fact, when Vicki and I came back from seminary, just 40 years old and thinking, okay, well, I have a seminary degree and no job. I'm not sure what the next step is. There's a certain amount of, you know, anticipatory anxiety that goes with that. And we were at the time meeting at a vineyard church. And if you know anything about vineyard, they expect the spirit to speak. They create space for him to move. They called a prayer night and had a guest pastor come who is really experienced in the things of the spirit. And so we were debating whether to go and I think I heard you know, eventually I went because the Lord was leading me to go. And if you know me, you know I'm not, I I sort of discount emotional things or at least emotional expressions of of in the charismatic side or at least I used to. So I go with a certain amount of like okay I'm going to pray, the Lord and I will meet kind of on my terms. So the man is into this prayer posture, and he is, you know, calling upon the spirit. He's calling upon the Lord, come down, Lord. Lord, touch the people here. And I'm, and I'm like, okay, I'm in. Touch the people here. And suddenly, or very quickly, unbeknownst to me, um, just started crying. Just, I, not loudly, because don't don't want to create attention, but just kind of like, you know, just bent over, and the Lord just had a hold of my soul. And I realized what his healing was about in that moment. The healing was about this, that I didn't, I, I didn't need necessarily a physical healing, but when I was anticipating trying to find a job and trying to take the next step, I had a wrong attitude, a wrong understanding of who Christ is. Sometimes we're in hard places because we actually don't know the love that is on display that Jesus had for the man born blind, that Jesus seeks him out. For, for me, I, I grew up with God as being kind of the God of the curveball. A baseball analogy, if you're not familiar with baseball. Baseball, a good pitcher. Some of you go back. We know Sandy Koufax, classic f- curveball thrower. Curveball is when you throw the ball at the batter. Well, not at the batter, but in the uh, strike zone, the batter thinks it's up here, but it's at the very end curving down and away. And so the batter swings and the batter misses. This is how I thought God operated far too frequently in my life the God of the curveball. Oh, sure, I went to seminary. Now I'm going to pray, and I don't know what kind of job I'm going to get. It's a little bit like, to use another analogy, Charlie Brown, you know, and Lucy always wants him to kick the ball. And it's like, and then we'll just snatch it away. And he's doing that to test me, and he's doing that to strengthen me and all that, but he's the God of the curveball. And so there was the healing that God wanted to do in that moment was to dislodge that long-standing notion in my life and in my heart and he did it this way, in the midst of this sort of doubled over prayer response that I'm going through, I had a, an image, you know, vision's too strong, images too light, somewhere in between those, of a little kid, and we were over by, Dean and Mindy will know this, Mountain View High School, I know the piece of lawn is on, and, and there's a little boy, he's about five years old, and there's a tee ball set up. You know, tee ball is a little plastic stand. The ball's on top of it. Nobody pitches at you. You just take your little wiffle bat and you swing at it. And you are, that's the way that kids learn. And so I'm swinging at this ball and I'm hitting it. And nobody's pitching, so there's no curveball. So in the, in the course of this, uh, time just sort of elapses. And I'm growing up. I'm five and I'm six and I'm seven. And pretty soon the tee ball stand is taken away. And suddenly there's a pitcher. And he's throwing balls at me in the strike zone, and I'm hitting him. Now I'm 13, I'm 14, and I'm, I'm actually hitting him pretty well. These things are going farther than I thought. They're, uh, I'm not missing a pitch. And then I hear, and I have a batting coach next to me. I don't know who he is, but he's sort of helping me and he's encouraging me. And he says, now he's going to throw you a curveball. Okay, I'm ready. And the, whoever the pitcher was winds up, throws curveball after curveball, I am crushing these things beyond all distance and recognition. I am astounded by this. And then the, the episode ends. But I realize in that, this is God's healing vision for me, that I would no longer cling to something unworthy of Jesus, something that was preventing me from following him. But it started with what? The word go. Go to that prayer meeting. Go with all your skepticism if you want to, but when you're there, maybe leave this skepticism and be open to what Jesus has for you. If the man born blind had not gone to the pool, had not obeyed what the Lord had, you'd see a man blind with mud in his eye and no healing. A little bit later, and Cindy didn't have a chance to read this, uh, well, it wasn't in the text, that's why, but there's, there's an interlude, you may have noticed there's an interlude, it ends at, the reading ends at verse 13, and then picks up again on 28, and the, it, well, the part that didn't get read is sort of this tragic comic display, where the man comes back, and he says, you know, I can see, and people can say, that's the man, I think was born blind, somebody says, no, that's not him, and somebody looks like him, he's no, no, that was me, I was the guy, I was, now I can see. And then the Pharisees get involved. First it's the neighbors. Now it's the Pharisees. Why are the Pharisees involved? Because the healing was done on a Sunday or on a Sabbath, actually, on a Saturday. So you know when that happens, the sirens go and they show up and they start investigating. So they're investigating and and they're, they're divided. Can somebody who's not from God actually heal? Well, we don't know. He did on the Sabbath, so he's not from God. Yeah, but he healed, and so he is from God. So they don't know. So they ask the man, and he's like, yeah, all I know is that once I was blind, but now I see. We're going to sing Amazing Grace a little bit later. But that's where that comes from. This is, yeah, our best testimony of God's work in our life is just to say, this is where I was, but this is where God took me. This is the situation I was in, my predicament, but this is the healing that I received this is the healing I received physically in his case. This is the healing I received spiritually in the case I just said. This is the, the healing I received in my soul. And they are all tied together. So it's hard to just say one after another. But there's this kind of weird display where everybody's just debating whether Jesus, like how did this guy get healed? And, and nobody's really paying attention. Like, well, who is this guy, Jesus? They're just trying to figure out well, is he legit? Is he not legit? But it all centers around the man. It gets even worse. They, they call the man's parents and they say, was well, this guy really blind from birth? They're really looking into this hard. And they said, yeah, he was blind from birth and he's our son. But how he got healed, we don't know. Don't throw us out of the synagogue, please. So eventually, they throw the man out because he says, you know, this is remarkable. As Cindy read, this is remarkable. How, how does, him, we know that God doesn't bless people that uh, aren't righteous, righteous, and now I'm healed and you don't know? Hmm. (laughs) A little weird. That would be our modern translation. And so they throw him out. Here's the key to this for me. The healing is in the person of Jesus here. And so often, so much of our world and even parts of our own life, by my own testimony, testimony, are places where we just don't want to see Jesus as the source of the healing that we need. We'll look high and low, long and far, for any other solution than Christ. I was reading uh, recently about... um, people, younger people that are just increasingly experiencing anxiety. Adolescents, teenagers, Journal of the American Medical Association did a study from 2016 to 2020 that chronicled uh, an increase in anxiety and depression among kids anywhere from three to 17 years old. And this is pre-COVID. And it's a host of things. It's social media and it's the digital age and it's just uh, economic challenges and uncertainty you know, um, smartphones get a lot of the blame. Another study looked at high school seniors from 2005 to 2018, this came out of Columbia, and they're seeing just the same thing, an increase in anxiety, people most anxious were the ones most engaged in political things, particularly issues that they considered intractable, and unsolvable, essentially being in a place without hope. And if you have no hope, And if you're trying to solve things just on your own power and your own steam with your own group of people. These are people that need to see the face of the Lord. To need out of that healing comes out of a place of hope. Healing begins with us. It's not that the issues that, that don't occupy our minds, the big things that are in front of us don't need our attention. They do. They just can't bear the attention that we would give without Christ. We need, we, need to say, we need the Lord to say, Lord, I need to see your face in the middle of this situation at work. Lord, I need this. This thing is going on in our, our local government. This thing's going on in our world. What role? This is, you've put this on my heart in some way. What is your healing path, your place of wholeness in the midst of this? What, what, I, I don't want to do this on my own. I can't do this on my own. If I'm on my own, I'm just prone to anxiety and I'm prone to exhaustion, and, and I need you To help me. I need the healing. And you need to heal me first. That I might be able to be your place of healing. In the situations I'm in. So healing comes from beholding the person of Jesus Christ. And allowing him to heal. Us. See the Lord is at the right hand of God. Who is the person now who goes alongside the person born blind. Or the one who is dealing with all kinds of stress. And things going on in our world. It is you, and it is me. And we'll be better if we can be the people that say, yeah, the Lord is working on me. But I've seen enough to know that he's the God who loves, and he's the God who heals. The encounter with the man born blind ends this way. They throw him out, and and Jesus finds him. And Jesus asks this question of the man. And he asked this question of us, and is this, do you believe in the son of man? The man born blind who can now see he says, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? Because he's never seen Jesus to this point. And Jesus says, ah, you have seen him. In fact, the, he is the one who is speaking to you now. And Jesus said, Lord, I do believe, and he worshiped him. Whatever healing we need, whatever burden we carry, whatever concern we have for the, just the things right in front of us, in our family, in our work, in our community, in our world, Jesus will ask, do you believe in the Son of Man? And we do. And so because of that, we can go to him and we can say, Lord, I do believe. And I need to know how to experience your healing in this place. I need to know to have the faith and the stamina and the energy to go one more mile in this area. This is a hard journey. Lord, I need to see that you make a way. My prayer is that in these days ahead, God would open our eyes. Whatever place of blindness, or call it spiritual cataracts of some description, we can, we can see partially, but we can't see wholly. Lent is a time to allow him to do his work so that we can see him afresh. The one you now see is the risen Lord. If we do that, I think we will also find him moving us more fully into those things that we are concerned about. Our own little places where we are anxious and and we are dealing with just kind of being overwhelmed with stuff. We don't know how God's going to make a way. He'll speak to us in Scripture when we read it. He'll speak to us in our times of prayer. He gave me another little dream the other night. Uh, I usually remember a good portion of my dreams. and I remembered this. Um, we were with some extended family, Vicki and I. Were, we were like in an airport line. And we were going on our TSA pre, which we actually do have. Uh, we were going on the little TSA pre, where it's quicker. And my extend, some members of my extended family were over in a different line. And I said, hey, come over here. And some voice, not a TSA person, but some voice said, they can't come with you. And they had to keep going on their path. I just woke up in the morning thinking, Lord, that's from you. I I need to be careful about those I love, those I hang out with. I love our family get-togethers, but I know some people aren't going to be where I want to be with them. And I'm thankful that the Lord put that on my heart. I know he has those people, situations on each of our hearts. And so, I'm like, the man born blind, we all have some blind, But he asks each of us, do you believe in the Son of Man? And I pray that you give us the grace to increase our faith, that we'd experience the healing that we need for the times that we're in."